Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. You guys doing all right? Good, good, good. Man, worship was good. Worship was good. Yeah. It was fun. Uh, it was fun. Uh, um, I was in the, in, in the entryway just sitting there, and um, uh, my friend Patty over here, I was talking with her brother, and, and worship started, and she goes, Dave, I got to go. I like this part. I hope you like this part too, Patty. I hope you like this part too. So anyway, and then as I was walking over, I, I always kind of stop, and one of my favorite gatherings on Sunday morning actually happens right out here. Uh, because this is where all the kids gather, and they gather, and they go to Sunday school. And so this little kid looks at me and goes, what are you going to do? And I said, well, th- that's your teacher. You're gonna, they're going to teach, she's going to teach you, and I'm going to go teach the adults. And then I said, hey, have fun in church. And so the little kid goes, eh. <laughs> I just love kids, man. I love that. I love that. Hey, we mentioned something. On June 5th, we are going to have a 10 a.m. service. We're going to have a 10 a.m. service, and that's going to be for um, our 15-year celebration but starting June 5th, this is real important. We all need to know this, okay? And you're going to hear me say this a whole bunch over the next three weeks. Starting June 5th through September 4th, we're only going to do one service. We're going to do a 10 a.m. service all summer long, okay? And the reason for that is this. I feel like, this is personal, for me, connection's a big deal. Like, connection's a really big deal, And I feel like that as we came out of COVID, I was looking for this kind of reconnection point that people would come up and they had been kind of isolated and they had kind of been locked down for a little while. And I felt like we were going to have this real connection point where where it was like, all right, let's all connect again. I don't feel like we ever did that. I don't feel like that ever happened. Uh, Maybe it happened in your world, but everything I'm reading about, it almost didn't happen in any segment that is that is really tied together through connection, right? So in almost every section of society, what what society has lost is this place where people used to gather and they used to have connection. That connection never came back. It just didn't. Anybody agree or disagree? Right? We can take a vote. We're not a voting church, but we we could take one. I'm into that this morning. And I don't feel like we got that. And so we have these two services, and what's really interesting, you'll look around this service, this service is pretty full this morning, at least down here on, on the bottom, but the next service is about half this. And I just feel like we're missing this connection piece. So I'm going to work really, really hard. Our staff has agreed to work really, really hard at trying to rebuild that connection piece that we had in our church before we went into COVID, okay? And so the whole purpose is this, is that Every other week, uh, you'll, you'll walk up, uh, here in a couple weeks, you'll walk up as you come into the um, backside of the church, which is, I guess would be almost our front side of our church, I guess. I don't know how that works. But anyway, you'll come into these doors here, and there will be big window clings that take up that whole door, and it'll have all the activities that we have going on for the summer. And you'll be able to find those on the website, and we'll make little cards, but it'll happen every other week, every other week. We'll be at one service all summer long. But every other week, we're going to throw a patio party, and that means we're going to have food trucks out here in the courtyard. And so when church gets done, we're going to have food trucks and yard games, and um, we're just going to try and rebuild this thing that we call church 
And church isn't just about um, me teaching or somebody teaching and worshiping. Church is literally about connection. This is a building. And the church is supposed to stay together through this thing we call community. And so one of the things that I feel like we've lost, that we just never grabbed it back, is we never grabbed back community. And so we're going to try and do that. And the way that we're going to try and do that is through these things we're calling patio parties. They'll start June 5th, but they're going to go all the way through September 4th, and we'll have one service. And then every other week, we'll throw a patio party. And then we'll have vineyard at the vineyard. And then we'll, have, we'll just have all these little places that we're trying to say, hey, let's build a community. Let's, let's invite our friends. Let's make this thing a place where we gather and say, hey, we're going to grab lunch on the patio. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, so now one more caveat that i got to give you this morning. You know, sometimes when you walk into church, and i got to set this up this morning. Sometimes when you walk into church, like you go, oh yeah, that would have been good for my brother. Oh yeah, that would have been good for my mom. Or oh yeah, that would have, I should have got my neighbor to church. That would have been good for them. Today, nobody will walk out of here unscathed. It's just not going to happen. And, and, and the reason it's not going to happen, the reason it's not going to happen is because there's, when you go through the book of James, you go through the book of James, and James is literally, he's writing, he's, he's the father of the church at this point, and he's, he is noticing that the church has some things that it needs to pay attention to. And when James writes, he's literally taking, uh, there's 13 topics, and, there, and each one of them he's saying, church, we all need to pay attention to this. Does that make sense? He just says, we all need to pay attention to this. The first one was about listening instead of getting mad. Week one, about listening and getting mad. The second week was about learning to control your tongue. That we should be people that as Christians, we watch what we say, right? Today's going to be about favoritism. And it's interesting, I've never done a talk on favoritism. And by the time I got done with the talk, writing the talk, I went, oh no. Oh no, we're all in trouble. Because we all do it. We all show it. And so, so the piece is this. So today isn't judgment. Today's not judgment. Today's not this talk that's full of judgment. Today is just literally this talk that says, pay attention. This has the ability to ruin families. This has the ability to ruin relationships. This has the ability to hurt people unintentionally. And what James is really trying to get us to pay attention to is that as Christians, as Christ followers, let me change the wording on that, because sometimes Christian is one word, but we're not trying to be Christians. We're trying to be Christ followers. Right? We're trying to be Christ followers. We're trying to be like Christ. We will never be perfect. We'll never be like Jesus, perfect. But we can be like Christ. And, we, and our achievement is to be like Christ. And so um, James is saying we've got to pay attention to this. And so, so as we head in today, I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions. There's no judgment on my part. Um, that What we're going to try and weed out today is this devastating impact that this kind of thing has. And so let me just ask you some questions. And I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions this morning. And we're just going to start by this. Have you ever been judged by someone? Raise your hand. Right? Everybody should have their hand up, right? Everybody has somebody in their life that they just look up and like, man, those people have just like, I just feel so judged when I'm around them. And 
being judged is devastating. So, so have you ever been judged by someone? Have you ever been wrongly judged by someone? Have you ever been wrongly judged? Do you have somebody who just thinks the worst of you and, and treats you poorly? Have you ever found yourself being mistreated by someone or groups of some people um, uh, for something that you didn't do? Like that's super hurtful when you have people who blame you for something that you didn't do. Uh, you, you're trying to defend yourself. You can't defend yourself. And it's like, like you just feel so mis- misunderstood and there's this judgment that gets poured upon you and, and it's painful. Now let me ask you a different question, kind of in the same realm. Have you ever been judged by people for something you did do? Yeah. That's almost actually worse. You know why? Because the guilt of what you did do is now known to others. And now you're trying to live down a reputation that you've earned. And you feel bad about it, but now you can't get past it. And now all of a sudden, like you feel stuck because you have these things. You, you did them. You did them. You, yep, you did them. And yet now you have a reputation and now you have a group of people who see you in the light and you're trying to get past that. And every time you're around them, you feel not only judged, you feel stuck to the decisions that you did in the past. It's unbelievably a, a hurtful, hurtful cycle. If you've ever done that, you, you feel exposed. If you've ever done that, uh, you, you feel like maybe people know information that they shouldn't have. Um, it can be a really, really, really hurtful uh, thing. Um, I, I didn't even... I, uh, I swear to you, I did not plan this. A bunch of years ago, some of you will know this story. Most of you will not know this story anymore because I've outgrown it. I've lived long enough for people to forget. Many, many years ago, I was offended by a whole bunch of things that was going on in the valley. And there was this whole group of churchy uh, pastors that were um, like, they were just blowing people up that drank alcohol, Okay. Now, I, don't, I think drunkenness is totally a sin. I don't think alcohol is a sin, but I think drunkenness is a sin. And so I was offended at them. And so I made a commercial that we got dubbed the beer commercial. Okay, It was me and, and our previous worship leader. And we were in a bar and we just literally said, hey, welcome to the downtown Vineyard Church. We're really, really glad you're here. Hey, uh, it, but you don't know we're in a bar at this moment. So oh, it, we don't, we don't, now I'm even nervous about telling the story. Gosh. I didn't mean to do this. Actually, I didn't mean to do this. And the part that I didn't mean to do is this. I, the iced tea is really good. And I brought ice. I never do that. And so I, the iced tea, I never drink it, but there it is. And so anyway, so we're at this, we're, we're sitting there and I'm like, hey, if you're new to down, Grand Junction and you're looking for a good church, hey, come check out the downtown Vineyard Church. Uh, like we're spiritual. And then the camera pulls back and now it's obvious that we're at a bar. And I said, but we're not religious. And we both have drinks in front of us. All right. So that ticked off a lot of people. The fact, the fact that I showed that commercial on the front and the back side of the Super Bowl just ticked off a lot more people. And so I, for many, many years in the Valley, had this reputation of being this, like, just really bad pastor. And uh, I was like, gosh, if you, like, that's why you're offended? If you only knew the real stuff, you'd be really offended. I'm I'm kidding. But then I looked down and I'm drinking iced tea this morning and I thought, that didn't work very good. But okay, so let me ask a whole set of different questions. Not about have you ever been judged. We've all been judged. Have you ever been judgy? I'm just judgy. 
You just have a group of people that you get on and you don't like them. You get judgy because maybe you, it's, there's a certain group of kids that your kids run around with and you are judgy about their parents. Have you ever been judgy? Have you ever uh, been judgy about the, the guys that live across the street and they just smoke pot day and night, day and night? I don't know if you have those neighbors. I do. Right? Like, and, and, and you just get this space. Have you ever been nudgy about the, the uh, college guys that live around the corner and they just throw parties every weekend? Have you ever been judgy about the, the Democrats in your office? Wait, yours is coming. Don't. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to nail you to the wall too. Have you ever been judgy about those conservative Christians? You know, the ones that are in your office and they are like, they have an opinion about everything. They, oh, got quiet now and now it's quiet. <laughs> have you ever been judgy about the, the girl who sleeps with everybody? Like, we just get judgy. Like, like I know we don't like to talk about these next ones. Like, we don't like these ones. You know, like you ever get judgy because you just don't like to hang around poor people. Poor people make you feel uncomfortable. Have you ever been judgy because you just like, you kind of judge fat people? People who are overweight, you kind of like, like you just have ideas about that. Have you ever been judgy about people who are rich people? Rich people are arrogant. They just, they just think they're better than others. Have you ever been judgy? Do you get judgy about certain groups of people? Like, the world is like this place right now that it just feels like everybody's judgy, right? We get judgy around old white guys right now. <laughs> oh, you privileged. You've had it good forever. Old white guy, your day's coming. We get judgy about blacks and Hispanics and Asians. We get judgy. Maybe you get judgy about white people. We get judgy about LGBTQ. And I know there's a whole bunch of new letters, but I don't know what they are. You can judge me for that. But do you currently have a group of people that you get judgy about? You just have opinions. And sometimes you keep them to yourself, and sometimes you don't. Okay, final question, maybe. Maybe final question. Have you ever been guilty of showing favoritism? This is what James is about ready to talk to us about. You know what I'm talking about, favoritism? Maybe you have a favorite brother. Maybe you have a favorite sister. Maybe you have a favorite parent. Maybe you have a favorite set of grandparents. Maybe you have a favorite child. Maybe you have a favorite grandchild. But you have this thing, man, and you just, like, it just, whether you say it or not, people know it. Has your favoritism that you've shown, has it caused problems? Does it cause problems in your family? Does it cause problems in your friendships? Does it cause problems in your relationship? Okay, last question. Do you think Christians have a reputation for being judgy. Like, like even in this room, we're a group of Christians. 
And we, we all kind of went, oh, yeah. And we're in this room. What do you think the rooms that aren't like this room think about Christians? And so James is hitting this topic, and he's, he's saying, you understand how devastating um, criticism is. You see, here's the problem. Favoritism, I think this is a slide. Favoritism, criticism, judgmentalism, and prejudice are all the same version with a different twist of entitlement and superiority. You realize that? Criticism, favoritism, judgmentalism, and prejudice are all exactly the same thing. They show up in a different way, but they are all exactly the same thing. And the Bible, this is the fascinating part. The Bible is full, full of stories that deal with favoritism. And when we read about the favoritism of Jesus, that's one thing, or the favoritism of God. But when we read about the favoritism of of humanity or families, it always is in brokenness. It's never good. When you think about these stories, you think about, you realize that Joseph got thrown into, um, beat up and sold into slavery. His brothers wanted him dead, but one of them was an entrepreneur. Come on, that was funny. He was like, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him for money. Let's make a buck or two. Right? Truthfully, like one of them, they're like, let's kill him. And somebody's like, yeah, but you know, we can make some money on him. They sell him into slavery because he was the favorite son of their dad. And the dad kept showing this unbelievable favoritism towards Joseph that it literally crushed the spirits of the other brothers. And they hated him so much. Because why? Because of favoritism. When you think about the story of Jacob and Esau in their family, in their family rift, you read the story of Jacob and Esau, and you read that, and it's these two young boys that mom has picked one, dad has picked the other as their favorite, and mom helps the younger brother steal the birthright of the older brother, right? And then pay attention to the story. Mom and dad die. A little bit later, mom and dad die. They're older. They die. And the brothers have a rift that lasts a lifetime over the mom and dad's favoritism. And so you keep reading these stories in Scripture. You read about um, Absalom, who is the son of King David. King David has lots of children, but Absalom is this one child that raises up and tries to take the kingdom from his dad because his dad had been unfaithful to his mom. David had lots of wives, but had been unfaithful to his mom and had showed favoritism to other brothers and sisters. And so Absalom raises up and says, I'll take your kingdom from you. And causes this unbelievable family rift. I came across this saying this week while scrolling through my Facebook feed. That's so that you know that it's really like quality. You know that I got it from a really legitimate source. It's always good when you source things. If people hate you because of Jesus, that's not a problem. However, if people hate Jesus because of you, that's a big problem. That's what I said. Facebook, preach. So let's do some damage. Let's open up to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Let's read that together. 
It's going to say this. It's going to start this way. It's going to say, my dear brothers and sisters. He's starting in a loving tone. My dear brothers and sisters, he's saying, I, I care about you. I'm, I'm about to say some stuff, and when I say this stuff, it's going to be hurtful, but just know I'm not attacking you. I'm saying I love you. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes to you in your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in poor um, comes in is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Aren't the ones who will inherit the kingdom... He promised to the ones, to those who love him. But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose name is noble that you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but you do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. And literally what he's saying, he's going back to Old Testament. He's tying this back to Old Testament scripture. And, and, and he's making this reference that if, if you are like living a good life, but you're showing favoritism to people, you're dishonoring God's law. It's a big deal. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So I'm going to make three quick points. And then I'm going to tie five things together at the end. So here's your first point. The problem with favoritism is it is devastating to the ones who do not receive it. you got to catch that. You see, when you're showing favoritism to someone, you think you're being kind. You think you're lavishing your love upon them. And what's really going on, you're showing favoritism to this person, and this person is receiving your rejection. And so favoritism is this backhanded broken form of rejection. And James says in verse uh, 2, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? I had a friend share a story with me um, that him and his family were sitting around, they have a fairly big family, and they were sitting around a Thanksgiving table. Everybody was there. All the children were there with their, their grown spouse, with their spouses and their kids. Beautiful Thanksgiving meal. At the very end of the Thanksgiving meal, uh, one, of the, one of the kids says, hey, you know what we should do? We should literally, we should take and put everybody's name in a hat. We should 
put the name of the hat, take the hat, pass the hat around. Everybody pulls one piece of paper out and you open up and you literally take that person's name and you say something amazing about that person. That sounds like an amazing family tradition. That sounds like that should be fantastic. So they went around and they started pulling names out and they started saying nice things about each other. And, it, and finally the dad grabs his name out and he pulls it out and he reads the person's name. And then he just looks up at the person and says, hey, I guess it's no secret that you're my favorite. When he does that, all of a sudden this rush of emotions shows up around the table. Other siblings begin to cry. Adult siblings begin to cry. And because now they don't know what to do, because what they thought about as children is now bleeding into their family lives as adults. They all just gather their stuff. And go, we, uh, we knew you thought that. And they just gather their stuff and it emptied the room. And you just have this moment where you get to see that what the father was doing to one was damaging the others. Favoritism is a backhanded form of rejection. The simple words of favoritism confirm the hurt and rejection of the other children. Here's the second piece. When you, fa when you show favoritism, you exclude people whom God loves. The reason favoritism is so dangerous and the reason James um, attacks it so hard is because when you show favoritism to one group of people, you are excluding a whole different group of people who God loves. Favoritism is a backhanded form of rejection, but it also is a rejection of people whom God loves. Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. He literally, he's coming to this point and he's saying, you do know that when you become judgy, you actually put a stumbling block in people's way of seeing Jesus, of knowing Jesus, right? So favoritism or prejudice, they all become these stumbling blocks for people as they're trying to pursue God, they come against people who are supposed to be representing Jesus. And they're like, dude, you treat these people bad and you treat these people good. Like, I don't even, like, how does that even work and how, as Christians? Favoritism becomes this stumbling block because favoritism screams. Favoritism screams. You don't think I'm good enough. Favoritism screams. I don't, I don't measure up to your standards. Why even try? Favoritism screams. You're not my favorite. Romans 12 says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Jesus said this. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For if you will be treated, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. 
And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I, I was eating lunch with a friend of mine this week. And um, we were having this conversation. And he's, he, my friend was talking about how he's been reading on near-death experiences. And he has some great ideas. And he has some other ideas that are like, I don't know about that. Right? And he says, you know what everybody experiences in all these near-death experiences that I read about? You know what everybody experiences? They first experience the judgment for their life. Like how they live their life. They first experience the judgment of how they live their life. And then they experience the judgment of how others experience them. That you stand before the Lord and you experience the judgment of God for how you lived your life. And as a part of that judgment, God lets you see and lets you feel how others experienced you. And I just went, oh, no. And this is why Jesus says, don't judge others. For how you are judged, you will be judged. Why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Here's the third one. Christ calls us to extend mercy, not judgment. At the very end of that passage that I read you, if you were to read it in um, the New Living, not in the New Living Translation, if you were to read it in the um, ESV Translation or the New King James Translation, what you would read or you would read it this way, it'd say, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's so crazy. The reason we judge people is we have opinions, but sometimes we judge people because we think we're going to help them become the people that they're supposed to become because they're not being the people they're supposed to become. And so we set the standard and we say, this is the standard. And James is coming along and he ends this passage by saying, you do get that mercy actually triumphs judgment. You, you want to help somebody become the person they're supposed to be? Extend to mercy. Extend to mercy. Let me give you five characteristics of mercy. Five ways mercy triumphs over judgment. The first is mercy is just another form of love. You know that where the presence of judgment, where the presence of judgment is, almost always guarantees the absence of love. Where the presence of, 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 of judgment sits, you can almost always be guaranteed that the people that sit under other people's judgment almost always feel the absence of the person's love. They feel the judgment. They don't feel the love. Love is able to accept people for who they are. Love is able to get past people's pasts, their shortcomings. Love is able to see people as God sees people. As God sees them. First Peter, Peter writes, Most important of all, you must sincerely love each other. Now catch this next sentence. Because love wipes away many sins. Love is just another form of mercy. Love helps people reconcile their past. Another form of mercy is help. Have you ever noticed people who judge almost never help? 
Have you ever noticed that? People who judge almost never help, and people who help almost never judge. It's the craziest thing. Like people who help, like when you know that when you've blown it, I don't know if you've ever had anybody in your life, and you knew that when, when you blew it, they would still help you. Right? I can, I can think of, uh, we had a, a season in our life, every parent has this season. If you haven't had it, God bless you. Uh, I'm guessing your kids are little. I'm not, I'm not all that wise. I'm just kind of, I've experienced it. But we had a season in our life where we had one of our children who just went through a cycle of making poor choices. Now, here's the interesting part. When, when, you, when you're a pastor and you have a child making poor choices, like, uh, you automatically get judged. And you get judgy people. And so we had a season of one of our kids who was having a hard time making good choices who was now having a hard time coming to church because they felt judged. And we had this sweet, sweet, um, dear friend. Uh, she was our pastor's wife, Cheryl Cox. And Cheryl Cox would just always come up and put her hand around my kid and say, hey, why don't you, why don't you and I grab donuts this week? How you doing? Why don't you and I just grab donuts this week? Hey, you want to come to my house? Uh, help me do laundry? Who wants to do that? Nobody. <laughs> but when you need to be loved, you do. And when you need to be accepted, you're willing. And when you need to be embraced, you do. And so this, our kid would meet Cheryl Cox for donuts and meet Cheryl Cox for coffee. And what are you doing? What do you want to do today? I want to go out to Cheryl's. We're going to do laundry. We're going to, we're going to help paint Cheryl's house this week. Cheryl asked me to come over to help her paint her house. You see, when people are judgy, they're almost never helpful. And when people are helpful, they're almost never judgy. Paul writes to the church of Galatian, um, Galatia, so let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Did you catch that? I want to pause for a second on that. I want you to think of the people that you're judgy against. We all had that little interview in the beginning of this talk, and I said, do you have a group of people you're judgy on? We all said yes. We all, nobody in here said, nope, I'm good. We all said yes. We all had said, yeah, I've got people I, I'm kind of judgy on. Paul's literally writing to the church, and he's saying that whenever you have the opportunity, do good to them. Be kind to them. Be loving to them. Be graceful to them. Be caring to them. Especially to those who are in the family of faith. Here's the, I think the fourth one. Mercy is another form of humility. Judgmentalism says I'm better than you. Humility and kindness says I understand. I love you. I accept you. 
You see, as Christians, we're supposed to have this humility that when we come into people's presence, that we don't agree with what they're doing. We don't agree with what they believe. We don't necessarily agree with how they're living. But what they should never feel from us is judgment. What they should feel for us, from us is humility. Because humble people are kind people. Humble people don't care what other people think. And humble people look for the good in others. Humble people look for the good in others. Um, Paul writes to the church of uh, Philippi. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I came across this quote from Fulton Sheen, and I can honestly tell you, I've never heard of the man. Like, sometimes we come across stuff and you're just like, that's just good. I don't know who you are, but that's gold. The proud man counts his newspaper clippings, but the humble man counts his blessings. The proud man is trying to look for how impressed other people are with him. The humble man is trying to help people become the people that God created them to be. I love that. The proud man counts his newspaper clippings. The humble man counts his blessings. Mercy is, a re, re, is reliant on prayer. You know, it's impossible to pray for someone and judge them at the same time. If you're truly praying for them. Now, if you're praying judgy prayers, God, thank you for not making me like them. You know, or if you're spreading gossip, you know how that works. Hey, uh, brother, we probably need to be praying for such and such. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if you're truly praying for somebody, it's impossible to pray for someone and judge someone at the same time. If you're truly praying that God would move in their life and help them, and if you're truly praying, God, would you give me areas and ways that I can show love to them? Prayer not only changes your situation with people, prayer changes your view of people. My buddy Dan Cox, Cheryl's husband, said, I never worry about people who are praying. Mother Teresa said, only prayers that come from the heart can touch God's heart. Years ago, I had a couple that were on the verge of divorce. They didn't like each other very much. But the crazy part were they were both praying people. And so they started praying for their spouse, and they started praying that God would change their heart. And sure enough, God not only changed their hearts, he saved their marriage. You see, that God is able to do more in prayer than you are able to do it in gossip. Should I say it again, or are we good? God is able to do more in prayer than we are able to do in gossip or complaining. Philippians 4.6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And here's the last one. Mercy is another form of grace. People run from people who judge them, but people run to people who love them. People run from people who judge them, but people run to people who show them grace. 
Terry Newhoff said, if you want to kill your church, fill it with judgy Christians. Ouch. Paul Watson says, if you want to grow your church, fill it with a church full of graceful people who will love people exactly where they are, exactly for who they are. Because all of us walked through this door this morning as sinners. I don't care what kind of week you had. Maybe you had a stellar week where you killed it every morning and you got all your devotions done and you helped your little neighbor next door because she's a little old lady and you bought her groceries. Or maybe today I'm talking a little loud because you were out a little heavy last night. Now you got a headache. Come on, that's funny too. We're just drinking iced tea this morning. The point is Jesus isn't worried about where you've been. Do you know that? He is worried about where you're going. He's not worried about where you've been. He's worried about where you're going. John 1 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We've seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and He was full of grace and truth. He also wrote in John 3.17, for God did not send his, world, his Son into the world to condemn the world. You guys really remember that? We remember John 3.16. But John 3.17, Jesus didn't send His Son, God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent His Son into the world to save the world. So let's conclude. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out. This week I was on a phone call with a bunch of other vineyard pastors. My friend was leading the phone call. And he just said, hey, I just, I just want to start off this question with, I just want to start off this phone conversation with a question. He said, what would you like the vineyard to be known as? Now this is pastors from all, all kinds of communities. What would you like the vineyard to be known as? And each pastor went across the Zoom call, and they gave their answer, and I want to tell you mine, because I knew the question was coming. He had asked that we'd think about it, and this is what I wrote. I want the vineyard to be a healing community where people encounter the Holy Spirit and receive the truth, love, grace, and acceptance of Jesus. If you're walking through the doors today, That's my goal for our church. I want the vineyard to be known as a healing community, not a judgy community, where people encounter the Holy Spirit. The only thing that's going to change your life is God's presence, the Holy Spirit, and that they would receive the truth. They'd receive love, grace, and acceptance of Jesus. So here's the deal. First, If you're a Christian, if you're following Christ, and you're guilty of being critical and judgmental of others, today's a day of repentance. Today's a day where we just say, God, we're sorry we do that. I'm sorry for the people that I've hurt with my criticisms, my critical spirit, my judgmentalism, my prejudice. If you're regularly are prejudiced and intolerant of groups, 
If you have groups of people and you are a follower of Jesus, I am asking that today you repent of that. There is no room for that in the body of Christ. There just isn't. And I know we have our reasons and I know we have our, our like, yeah, but they're destroying blah, 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 blah. There's no room for prejudice in the body of Christ. There's not. Here's the back side of this. If you are here and you are struggling in your life because of prejudice, you've been on the receiving end of it. You've been on the negative side of favoritism. You feel crushed in your spirit from the critical people in your life. Today's a day of healing. I'm so sorry that you're experiencing that. And I would just say, let us pray for you today. Let us pray today. Let today be a day of healing. That we'd pray, say, come Holy Spirit. Come heal. So I'm going to ask ministry team, if elders or, worship, or ministry team or pastors are around, if you'd just meet me up front and you're more than welcome to stay in your seat. I understand this is, this is like, this is one of those messages that nobody gets out of the room alive. But it's a really great message to just say, Lord, we want to be a healing church. We want to be a church where people are whole and where people are accepted for who they are and where they're coming from. Anyway, because Scripture says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's stand, let's worship. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. You know, as I close, sometimes there's a, me- there's a sermon and, I, and I'll say, hey, if this hits you, would you raise your hand, right? I'm not going to do that. I think this hits all of us. I think we all struggle with this. I will say this. If you have been on the receiving end, of judgment, criticism, or favoritism, or prejudice. And it's just done damage to your soul. I need you to hear me say, you need to catch the vision of God for your life. Because God says you're chosen, not rejected. God says you're good enough And most of all, God says you're loved. And so would we just bow our heads? And I'd say never let Satan take from you the things that God has intended to give you. Don't let Satan take things from you that God intended for you to have. Being chosen and being good enough and being loved and being more than enough. And then I would say that if you're in the room and you have a group of people that you, have just, you just haven't treated the way that you should, would you make a commitment today of asking the Lord to change your heart towards those people? Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. Didn't like them. They'd killed his friends and family. He didn't like them. He hated them. And I would just say, Let God change your heart. 
Lord, would you give us eyes for people that we don't like? Would you give us your vision? Lord, this morning, would you heal those that have experienced the brokenness of rejection or prejudice or favoritism, God? And Lord, would you convict those that have hearts that have shown prejudice and favoritism? But Lord, today, would you make our church a more loving, healing community where people encounter the Holy Spirit? Would you make our church a place of truth and love and grace and acceptance of Jesus? Would you do the work in our church that needs to be done that we become more like you? We pray your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives, just as it is in heaven. Amen. Bless you. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.